Hey, what's up, psychos? Welcome to another episode of Take Your Pills, Psychopath, the comedy podcast that exploits mental illness for personal profit. What? Trademark. I'm your host, John F. O'Donnell. J-Fod, so excited for this week's episode. We have a great guest, and I'm going to introduce her in a moment. But first, just some housekeeping real quick. Uh, My ask of you, psychos, is this. I have basically now pared it down to one main online sort of uh, objective, and that is to blow up my stand-up comedy special, The Manic Depressive Chocolate Fountain Operator. We just surpassed 11K views, which is very cool. I really want to get that shit up to 100K. Why not? It's a good special. I'm proud of it. So here's how you can help me out is you could watch it. Uh, all you have to do is type my name, John F. O'Donnell, into YouTube, and it'll it'll come up right on top. And uh, all I ask is that you give it a like and a comment. If you've already watched it, go back and please leave a comment. It uh, it appeases the algorithm overlords and shows the video to more people. And I'll be honest with you, it just makes me happy to see nice comments. <laughs> so uh, please do that. And yeah, and you know what? That's the only plug. That's it. Well, I guess one more plug. (laughs) If you are in the New York City area, come out to a live show every Friday night. Me and my friends run a great show at Cobra Club in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It's called Live from Outer Space. You can go to livefromouterspace.com to find out more information about that. Come hang with us. And if you do come out, make sure to say hello. All right, cool. So without further ado, I'm so excited to introduce my guest. She's going to talk about her new solo show, Lady ADHD. It's Blair Postman. Hey, Blair. Hello, Jennifer Donald. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. Can I, can I piggyback on something? You can do it already. I've listened. I've ADHD, so I've only listened to like three quarters of it. But I was watching slash listening to your special. It's great. It's it's fantastic. Can I say a line that I like? Is it going to ruin it? You can say whatever it's you like want. It's like two uh, rock bottom Johnny, I think was. <laughs> oh, my God. I couldn't stop laughing. Rock bottom kid. Rock bottom kid. Rock yeah, bottom yeah, kid. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yes. Very funny. Thank you so much. And I'll tell you what, someone, the fact that you got three quarters of the way through it with ADHD is a high compliment. And I think I'm going to finish it like for real, like maybe on my way back down to Baltimore today. But yeah. I will take that as a high compliment. No, it was that's that is way above average. Yeah, for me. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's let's be honest, uh, psychos. Just so you know, it's hard for comedians to watch other comedians' stuff because we'll be like, oh yeah, that's pretty funny. It's pretty funny. And we're jerks. We're jerks. <laughs> we're jerks. We're jerks. We're jaded. We're broken inside when it comes to laughter. Kinda, unless it's real funny, then we really appreciate it. Laughed out loud. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. So how you feeling? How you been? I've been pretty good. I've been um, getting back to comedy and I'm going to I'm going to reference. I can't remember what episode of of yours it was, but um, you were talking with somebody or maybe it was yourself. Uh, Mind is a steel trap. Um, And you were talking about like not doing less and getting more out of comedy. It was something along those lines. So I'm trying to be a little more strategic. I'm coming up to New York more and I've got, um, so even if that means fewer sets, I still think it's worth it. But mostly the big thing has been my solo show. That's at caveat in on the Lower East side once a month. And then, you know, just trying to like at the same time, not 
not let myself go and spin out and get really stressed out and not take care of myself because right before quarantine, like say two months, I'd already decided that like something had to give because I gained all this weight. I wasn't sleeping. I have a day job that's like, it's like they expect things of you (laughs) like a lot, you know, I, uh, and so I'm trying to find that balance and it's definitely better than when I was before pre-quarantine, but that is real. That is a struggle. That is like a real thing. Totally, totally. And I think it is a very difficult lifestyle. Grinding away, being a comedian, trying to make this thing viable is so fucking challenging. <laughs> it's crazy. Do you know how I make it viable? I have a whole other job. So it's just like, you know, two jobs, you know, like and I'm not I mean, that's. 90 whatever percent of comedians. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm always taking side gigs and stuff like yeah. that. You have to. It's uh, it's crazy. And also it's like, wouldn't it be nice if you reached like a threshold of funniness and then they were like, oh, you're funny enough. You get to. Uh... You get to like, here's your starting salary. <laughs> yeah, here's yeah, your yeah. base pay. Like, and as you get better, they like you get, I don't know, like comedy bonuses or whatever. Yeah. But like you've achieved enough. You put in this time. You're this funny. So now you get to do only this. You're not rich, you know, or whatever. At it. You just here is your starting pay as an official comedian. I like that very much. I think that is a fantastic idea. Yeah, you write a joke that's funny enough that you get a benefit. Yes. <laughs> just even a, like <laughs> dental. Let's yeah, 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 just dental. Dental's very expensive. Dental benefit would be great. Wow, that callback was so great. You're getting a free root canal, <laughs> baby. <laughs> Exactly. Wow. Yeah, it's uh it would be nice. There is no there's no finish line. No, there's not. It's crazy. It's a crazy thing to do with your life. I don't suggest it. <laughs> unless you need to do it Except like I do. I didn't start till I was 43 years old. Yeah, that is atypical. That is atypical. <laughs> yeah, that's how scared I was while pretending not to be scared of anything. Yeah. Wow, you yeah. must have been uh you must have had like a comedy sized hole in your heart for decades. I had a comedy sized hole in my heart that I tried to fill with. I had, I circled around in it, it like a, it, there's a thing, I think it's in calculus. It's called an infinite limit where you get closer and closer to the uh, axis, but you never touch it. That was me trying to do everything in comedy that wasn't actually being a stand up comedian on stage. So I went to law school. I thought I'd be an entertainment lawyer. Then I went, uh, that I was a media lawyer for a hot minute. That was I'm like I don't like footnotes and reading them all the time. This is terrible. Uh, I'm gonna be an agent. So I applied, got into William Morris agency. It was back then William Morris agency in New York mailroom. Started in the mailroom, worked my way up. Blah blah blah. Became an agent. Left there. Was a personal appearance agent. Left that. Tried to start my own thing. Went to Second City. Booked in house for them. Left and became a stand-up manager and worked here, had a comedy festival, bankrupted me, alienated me from all kinds of people, and then, you know, like, left the Northeast for eight years (laughs) and started a whole new life. I'm like, you know what? And only after my husband hit, and I'm not breaching any confidences, but there are jokes approved by my husband uh, that I tell, but only after he hit rock bottom and uh, he's an alcoholic, Old school alcoholic too. Not really a lot of drugs. Just pretty much, you know, a drunk. Um, and all and what I call the time of our life when the shit went down, when we like lost everything, and I went bankrupt, and he lost his business and the house and all this stuff. Only then, and and my whole family was pissed at me. Only then 
when everything went to complete shit and I finally had nothing left to lose, which I really didn't have anything to lose to begin with. Only then, at 43 years old and in the seaside town of Wilmington, North Carolina, that I decide to try stand-up comedy. Sure, I had lived and worked in New York and Chicago and Washington, D.C., but no, why try stand-up any of those places? I'll wait till Wilmington, North Carolina, which thankfully actually has a really great comedy club. That is wild. I didn't know yeah. any of this. I, I, didn't know I, am, I am an onion and <laughs> yes, we're... You know, well, I'm late. so, so glad that you hit such a deep, deep, dark rock bottom. I, I had to in order to not be. I was just I was uh, and it relates to the ADHD, but I was so terrified um, from growing up of not doing things right and making mistakes and being a disappointment that I think it really impacted all the choices I made, like from say high school to like you know 30 or so years old 35 maybe a little older than that yeah uh years old yeah yeah every once in a way while i would pop my the real me would pop my head out but yeah i was it's it's now it's no fun being scared yeah well comedy is all about mistakes and disappointment right exactly (laughs) which is like yes and now i'm like uh compared to 20 year old me i i embrace that you know, to some degree, it's not ha- fun in the millisecond it's happening. But yeah, it's uh, sorry. I feel like I brought this to a grinding halt. <laughs> no, not at all. What are you talking about? Honestly, I will tell you this about Take Your Pill Psychopath. When we're funny, we're funny. But when we're serious, we're serious, yeah. too. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's so all it, good. So the um, I, I was late diagnosed with ADHD. I was about um, er, very early 30s, 30, 31 or so after um divorcing my first husband after uh, just about six months um and uh, yeah and um which was the right choice that is there's no regrets there um of the divorce part yeah and um the uh but i didn't take it seriously until you know 41 2 3 in that time period where, you know, quote, the shit went down and that eventually my husband got sober and he's been sober now for going on 10 years. And, and I uh, because I didn't I was basically told specifically by certain people, but also sort of just society that it's not real. It doesn't count. You're just lazy. You're just if you have ADHD. It, well, here's a little here's a line, but I actually think it's helpful. I am in no way. Uh, like qualified really officially to talk about like science psychiatry therapy you know but to make sure everyone has like a baseline understanding I describe ADHD brains as having an unreliable amount of certain brain chemicals which regulate all kinds of functions and yes one of those functions is attention and the ability to pay attention but also regulates things like emotional emotions hyperactivity and impulsivity and the joke part is, and that's why we're so much more fun at parties than you are. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, um, yeah. but that is, um, so all of those years of um, saying all those things were because I was lazy or bad or insert, you know, the negative uh, attribute here. Um, I, I really didn't take it seriously, wasn't on like meds regularly etc until my early 40s interesting so you got a diagnosis very late 
Uh, so you were dealing with ADHD as a child, I'm sure, throughout mm-hmm. your life. And then you got this diagnosis. When you got the diagnosis, because mm-hmm. I, was, I was wondering if you got the diagnosis when you were younger, and I and you know and you talk about how you're Gen X. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a vintage millennial. Used to be called Gen Y, <laughs> but then they got rid of that, my category. But that's category. sort of sad. You know what I yeah. mean? Like oh, eventually yeah. they'll come up for something else for, for Gen Z as well because it's just lazy. Yeah, 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 yeah. I I for some reason had this. I really liked being Gen Y. I mm. felt like Gen X and Gen Y are kind of these two cool like buddies. Yeah, they're like buddies. <laughs> Like older it's and like younger. It's a buddy comedy. Yeah, yeah. It's like older and younger siblings. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Yes. Gen X and Gen Y, both pretty cool. But then it's like getting wrapped up in some millennials. But anyway, that's a, that's a whole other, that's my own little annoyance. But as someone from Gen X, did you feel when you got the diagnosis that it was like, that you felt stigmatized? Or did you feel relief sort of getting to know, like, oh, this is what's going on with me? I When I first, I heard it, um, like I was lunchtime as a lawyer at the Federal Communications Commission, which is when I really learned uh, about one minute into that job that I do not <laughs> want to be a lawyer. Uh, it was um, like the NPR the station in D.C. was um, had somebody on a talk show talking about ADHD, and I'm like, holy shit, that is me. It's, you know, it's very stereotypical sounding moment, but you know, it comes from somewhere. And I was like, oh, my God, that's me. And I started uh, looking in for help. But back then, they didn't have, or at least they certainly weren't regularly, like, prescribing them, certainly not to older females, um, you know, what I call the good medicine. That actually kind of works for most people or a lot of people. You know, I said they would just tell you behavioral things like make a lot of lists, which I do. And is helpful, but then just gave you like a box of wishes. Like there was, um, there wasn't a lot there. And as more stuff was um, coming online, I I instantly knew that this was the thing that I had, and almost as instantly had people in my life telling me that that wasn't real and that it was wrong and it wasn't a real thing. And even if it was a real quote diagnosis by a doctor. It, it everyone you know everyone thinks they're a little ADHD or everybody um, uh, you know you could just do that if you organize more and not in any way appreciating that no it impacts my life it impacts like things like job and school it is um, a real like interfering problem you know it's the difference between like being a person who has a couple drinks and once in a while is hungover versus the person who like it's fucking up their whole life um, and it, because I, I always believed it was true while at the same time telling myself that it wasn't allowed to be a real thing. Yeah. So, so you were dealing with stigma. So you were yeah. dealing with stigma for a really, really long time. The way I dealt with it was just not acknowledging that it was, that I not talking about it, that I had ADHD, not, you know, if someone would make fun of it, I would just kind of go along with the joke. Yeah. And this was when you, this was growing up? No, this when was I was new- growing up, there was no age. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. When I was growing up, so I, uh, I was born in 1970. I know, I look amazing. And uh, Thank you. You listeners can't hear it, but just, just know it's true. And uh, we're sunscreen <laughs> kids. And so they, um, my first, like, through grammar school, so through fifth grade, 10 years old, was all non-traditional open classrooms. This is northeastern New Jersey, just over the George Washington Bridge, right? And 
So there was like a lot of, you know, sitting on carpets and like self-paced learning and sharing and like what you want to go to the listening corner again, go for it. You want to sing all day. You want to make up songs to help you learn science facts. Great. Um, there was stuff I always had to get done, but it wasn't as structured. You know, there were a lot of moving your desks around at lunchtime into new little friend pods, all that kind of stuff. And so I was sort of my best self there because you had to get certain things done and in every subject you had to get a certain to a certain you know degree of proficiency what have you uh but beyond that it really allowed me to follow my interests like if I was interested in learning the science stuff for longer than normal on a certain day that was fine and if I was interested in like writing for a day it was that was good too as long as they sort of the minimums got done and I really excelled and so um, I was, people thought I was very smart and I started reading very young. I was like two years old. And what happened is that in that environment, I was smart. And once I went to junior high with all the desks and rows and like this period, you have to do this subject. The next period you have to do that. This is exactly, you know, much more structured essentially. Um, uh, because some people already decided I was smart. Um, I was just basically told that I was lazy or I didn't care or I wasn't responsible. Um, other ADHD people get told from a young age, especially those who are quieter, which usually includes women. I'm very outwardly sort of hyperactive. That's for a multitude of reasons that we may or can't dissect here. Uh, more boys as children are, are sort of that outward hyperactive and they would get diagnosed uh, it's more uh, tendency in women that or girls, young girls, that they have um, uh, the hyperactivity is in their head. So um, the boys would often get told they're stupid, they're bouncing off the walls, they're not doing their homework, whatever it might be. The girls are told they're spaced cadets, whatever that means. You know, sort of your your Phoebe from Friends kind of character. Um, so you have a few choices. You can be dumb, you can be a space cadet, or you can be a lazy person who doesn't care about anything. Um, and I was, I kind of got put in this lazy person who didn't care, which I thought was real interesting because I did like 800 like different extracurricular activities and I did a lot of stuff, but also sometimes I would forget to write, you know, my English essay assignment or whatever it might be. Um, and so growing up, it wasn't, there was not a label of ADHD. I remember, um, <laughs> me and this one kid in kindergarten who was very, turned out to be just a genius at science later, uh, they, they tested us a few times during like recess when everyone else was at recess. And I used to think that it was because they, they probably just thought we were pretty smart, John. Um, they probably thought we were both pretty smart, and they wanted to see how smart, just to know. Uh, but now I look back, I'm like, oh, I'm pretty sure that kid was autistic because he had a lot of behavioral problems just in retrospect. I'm like, oh, maybe it wasn't because they thought I was smart. Maybe they thought like I was yelling in class and whatever, and they wanted to check me out. But whatever it was, nothing came of it. And so I didn't get diagnosed with ADHD until I was in my early 30s. And I know a lot of women in particular, and if you're a woman of color, uh, the the resources for you are just uh, 
even an infinitesimal amount, the likelihood of you getting diagnosed in school is even smaller. And so there's so many women now who get diagnosed at like 30, 40, 50 years old. Wow, that's so wild. Because you're just lazy. You're just because it's not um, some people it really affects their lives in really devastating ways, especially if you make impulsive decisions. Um, and, you know, like marrying somebody, I guess, and then mm. getting divorced later. But um, it, it's not it's not always pronounced enough outwardly. They're suffering inside their head. And um, so that it's just not really um, it, it, it's not uncommon for people to get diagnosed, women in particular, like 30s, 40s, 50s. See, it's interesting to me because I feel like there's both underdiagnosis and overdiagnosis of ADHD. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I call the the med- the good medicine, haha, um, and I'm I believe in the medicine for me. I don't think it works for everybody. I'm not like that. But you know, there's suddenly, you know, in the 2000s, there was all these, you know, soccer moms who, you know suddenly had ADHD slash wanted to cake off four or five pounds. And, um, you know, for me, what, how do I know that I'm ADHD? One, it's those medicines fill a hole. They don't like put that bucket of dirt. Doesn't like make a pile of dirt on the ground. It fills a hole, but also like, Oh, I don't lose weight from being on those drugs. (laughs) I never have. Yeah. (laughs) You don't get that positive side. of Yeah. And so I think, ADHD, it has a lot of comorbidities, too. So I think in one way it can get um, covered up by something else, like, say, autism or what have you. Um, And in another way, they might say ADHD without getting to the heart that there's other things there like, you know, autism or, uh, you know, bipolar disorder or whatever it might be. Yeah. I feel like there was a thing in the 90s where kids would get uh, diagnosis ADHD or ADD at this, like, like everybody was getting that diagnosis. Right. You know what I mean? And I wonder in that case, if there was an overcompensation and an overdiagnosis, uh, I don't know. I think that there's a lot of, uh, I think that there was, maybe an inclination that if somebody was troubled, there's a lot of reasons to be troubled. There's a lot of reasons to be acting out in class. There's a lot of reasons to be bouncing off the walls, you know, or when you're seven years old. Uh, I suspect that there were the kids whose parents, doctors, etc., teachers, thought it was just going to be kind of easier to deal with them if they were on Ritalin or what have you. And there were other people who didn't present in that stereotype way who got completely overlooked because that bouncing off the walls thing was what everyone used to look for exclusively. Yeah. Um, So I want to know. So, uh, so, okay, let's, let's start talking about, I feel like I just, you asked me, hi, how you doing? And I just talked for like three hours. No, it's good. (laughs) That is good. podcast With no, with, but with no rhyme or reason, there was no map. There was no path. Go ahead. Go ahead. That's totally fine. I I think you're doing great. (laughs) Okay. I'm enjoying it. Okay. We're catching up. You know what I mean? Well, let's just double back for a second. Are you, you're based in Baltimore? (laughs) I, now I am. Okay. Um, because I met in DC, right? No, no, I was. So I moved back to D.C. in 2018 from North Carolina and uh, for comedy and just like life. 
And um, after, let's say, you know, about a year or so ago, I sold, finally sold this, like, townhouse I had in North Carolina. And we're like, I can't afford to, we, we can't buy a house in D.C. anywhere I want to be. Like, you know, maybe, like, a really overpriced one-bedroom place. And also, it's just... I used to love D.C. like as just the nerd town. You know what I mean? And now you've got and yes, we're very rich people like lobbyists or lawyers or what or, you know, other people who I don't know them. But the it seemed like now with there's much more corporate, like a lot of corporations are there. The lobbying's gotten more intense, all this stuff. And it's it's not. It tries to be flashy sometimes. And it's also harder for small businesses and restaurants, etc., to get started there. And it's so, a terrible, terrible place. It's so, there's some fine, there's some fine. I've, there's great people there. There's great people there. And I love And the awful nerd, people. Like the best NPR station. You know what I mean? Like there's great, there's great stuff. Yeah. But the, um, and it's gotten so hard to live anywhere in D.C. And I didn't want to live all the way out in the suburbs or whatever. So, and we used to go to Baltimore all the time. My husband does a lot of his work you know, up around Baltimore and it's closer to New York. I don't know if you've heard. And so <laughs> we bought like a place dead downtown, like in little Italy. And now we can like live our lives. And, you know, I, and I also don't have to go into the office every single day anymore. So that's, that's great. So you're in Baltimore I'm and in you're Baltimore. doing stuff in Baltimore and DC and New York and you're yes. hustling. Yes. Hustling. That's yeah. great. I, we toured the show uh, around before we, you know, started doing shows in New York, so which was a big. Like I was, I was waiting. I don't know what I was waiting for. I was waiting for permission to do this show in New York, and then a comedian friend, but who's like a few paces ahead of me, but not like so far, not like so world famous that like you know they don't even remember my kind of problems. Was like. But what if you just did it in New York a lot? And so it wasn't like each show was that big a deal. And what if you just did the show? And like it wasn't that like a huge, you That's know, it didn't become a huge thing in your head. And so I did. And here here we are. That's great. Well, let's transition into and talk about the solo show, Lady ADHD. Um, I wrote down some different things. I wrote down that it's a great solo show. Oh. That it's a great use of flip charts. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's. It's the best. I I'd say it's in the top three flip chart comedy <laughs> shows of all time. Perhaps. Well, it's cool. And can I say? Can I say what happens towards the end? Of course, you can say okay. whatever you. you uh, well, I just think it's awesome how it's all tied together in the end, and oh, okay. how it really shows insight into. The, oh, you watched these, the whole thing. Oh, I did. Okay. Double speed. Uh, yeah, but, uh, oh, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> and I really enjoyed it. Oh, yeah. But uh, and how it's tied all together, uh, how it shows the your ADHD brain. Yes. You know what I mean? How you've gone down all of these different rabbit holes, right. made all of these weird connections that and it shows some positive aspects to this uh, this revved up brain. Chemistry. It's not all downside, guys. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you pay you pay for the upside. Yeah. So how did you did you when did you realize that you were going to tie it all together like that? Not until I was in the middle of creating it for a show, a, a debut that was set in stone on a certain date. And I'd been asked if I wanted to do a one-person show. And I was like, I don't want to, like, just do a bunch of these flip charts one after the other. I'm like, that's a fun sh 
I think it's a fun show, but like even in stand up, I don't literally usually do like an hour of flip charts. So, you know, you just, you know, spread it out. Uh, you got I got non flip chart jokes. Yeah. But the jokey jokes. But the um, as we were doing, I would do. So this is like right as the vaccines were coming out, but we didn't have them all yet. So I would do the house we were renting at the time in Silver Spring, Maryland, had like a big back deck. And so I'd have like seven, eight people over um, to Natalie McGill. You remember Natalie? She was one of the yeah. first per- people Love to Natalie. see any version of it. And somebody was trying to somebody who was brought as a friend who didn't know me. And so therefore felt no didn't couldn't fill in the gaps of what they knew. I they, like I, they, that they were sure I thought. The, that 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 I meant by something, but also we're asking more like why questions, and it was really nudgy. And I was like, like what's with these flip charts? And I'm explaining. I'm like, no, I'm just I. This is how my brain works. And I I was telling him how annoyed I would get because when I first started doing like you know back in North Carolina, I first started doing the first one. This. History of Super Bowl halftime shows and people giving me shit like at a mic where it's like all comics and it's like no one's gonna think that's funny. I'm like, you know what? Fuck you. You don't know everything. And also, yes, it is funny. You're if you did it, it wouldn't be funny, motherfucker. But it is when mm. I am because I'm passionate and it's real and it's funny. And you just instead of before I even start, like, why don't you let me do this? And that is, and I realized that that was so much of my. It turns out, John, that I have an anger problem. <laughs> and I didn't think this was the case until oh, 40 or so. But I think that really, metaphorically, for that whole time when I was trying so hard to be good and right and not be late and not fuck things up and not forget the thing, you know, that I was supposed to do for the class or the job I really didn't care about or whatever, that I, you know... It, Get, get so mad like just let me try my thing can I try my thing can I do it my way can I learn this my way without showing my work in the way that you want me to do it and just give you the end result can you just and I think um I had over a couple of decades become really frustrated and really angry about boxes I was put in but also by allowing my I I try to not blame but take responsibility for myself now even though there were certainly uh, you know, parents and family and teachers and so forth who kind of semi brainwashed me. Like, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to be a lawyer. Let me try this other thing. Let me show. There's a whole other way to do things. I see things you don't see. So let me do my thing. And I was trying to explain this, and and to this person who's this very nice person who didn't have to give up their Saturday, <laughs> to to, but and. and but the anger was clearly coming out and saying like, you know what, this happens because I was really interested in this and this and there's all this cool stuff and if you just hear what it's about and you didn't watch it, you wouldn't know it's fucking hilarious, but it's fucking hilarious. And that's been my whole life is seeing all these connections and all this stuff and instead of it being appreciated, sometimes it is, you know, in some arenas, but instead of being appreciated, I've been in places and situations and school situations and, and job situations where it's just being wasted. And, um, and so it was only kind of halfway through creating this show that I even really knew it was all going to be about that. And saying the downside of things too, as it's evolved over the past year, making sure it's clear that like that hyper focus, I'm like, you know, there's too much sunshine when I'm talking about that ADHD hyper focus when you're really 
interested in something or if it's urgent or if it's uh, really novel or maybe if you're in a competition of some kind, um, you can, we can, it's not that we can't focus on anything. It's just we focus on things. We have an interest-based uh, brain chemistry. That's, that's how our focus, that's, the, that's how we can naturally focus. And so that's when the dopamine comes and, and yeah. allows us to do that. And so if, but there's other parts of it that aren't all upside. So like a few months ago, I added a part about how the things that we hyper-focus on, a lot of times they have a reputation for being frivolous or silly, like, you know, Facebook cat pictures or whatever. But also like I can hyper-focus on something bad that happened especially because it's about me. It's even more interesting. But like and a lot of ADHD people tend to have anxiety because when you ruminate, that the way I understand the chemistry, you know, that is also interesting. That releases the dopamine. Now you're over-focusing on the bad thing that happened or the, whatever, it, it, the thing that you think was bad or sad or made you angry. And... Um, some of the things that, that's why I wrote a note down here. I wouldn't forget the, some of the things, even that tools we are given as ADHD people to help ourselves. Like, for example, I do make lists every day, especially for work and I rewrite them every day. So they become more ingrained. I don't just use the old list. And, um, I make a lot of fake deadlines for myself just for things. I don't know, like get your oil changed that, you need to do, but it doesn't need to be really done this week. But if I um, don't put a deadline on it, it might, it might never happen. So I put these fake deadlines on them, but now they're true in my brain. And I can create enough of those things that aren't really urgent, but I make them seem urgent to myself and get riddled with anxiety if I have now too many of them on my list that I've given a fake deadline to. Or if I look over three months of stuff I have to do, shows, rehearsals, mics, whatever. And because our brains only see now and not now, we don't process time normally, um, I can see all of those things over a three-month period and suddenly it feels like they're all happening or due right now. And, and it's sort of like that old dream of you waking up and you're late for class or you missed the final, except, you know, 30 things like that. And it feels like it's all happening at that moment. And um, so I wanted to make sure to put some of those things into it. Cause at first it was like a little bit of like, you know what? Fuck you guys. Cause you don't know how great my brain is in a lot of ways. And over the months really adding the elements of like, okay, but here's also some of the stuff that, that why are we all freaked out all the time? Well, here's some of the reasons. I don't know about everybody with ADHD, but here's some of the reasons why I get anxiety, uh, even though it never occurred to me that I had anxiety or any anxiety until a few years ago. So, sorry. Yeah. No, so no reason. Those are some things that happen. I think that that's important. I think that all of that stuff is important to show the uh, the difficulties that you're dealing with. You know what I mean? And, and it, it only helps to highlight the... Uh, the positive things that that are that are associated with it as well. And I think people want to want to hear about that, too. You know, I, I and I think I think I. Um, got tired of, I think, because I was made to feel like it wasn't a real thing I needed to address. 
um, that sometimes we would not it had a reputation like okay if ADHD is real it's kind of silly and frivolous and you just forget where your car keys are sometimes and I wanted to say like no it gets really dark a lot of people with ADHD have depression because they think they fuck everything up all the time their entire life since they were like three years old or a lot of them have anxiety for maybe not for the reasons I was just explaining but for related always waiting for the other shoe to drop you know, like when I forgot that my my last project was due two days earlier than I thought it was for my final, my last class in college. And I, you know, just I knew all the information. I just had, you know, it, there's a lot of um, comorbidities, like I said, with ADHD. And I want people to like see like kind of why we're cool. But also I wanted to show like, you know, there's a lot of. Uh, anxiety, shame, depression, etc. That a lot of people with ADHD that that emotional regulation dysregulation thing is real. Like most people don't see it, but like I have in my home office, you know, the only person who like will hear it is my husband, and I suddenly feel overwhelmed, and I am crying sitting at my desk. Why? It's not. It's nothing that I I get so frustrated and so worried and so stressed out. Uh, that I am literally crying at my desk. But if I breathe and take it apart piece by piece again, if I can catch myself, it's gone very quickly. So I just want people to realize that, yeah, there's some fun party tricks. Like there's definitely some party tricks that things we're good at, things I want appreciated. But I have much more anxiety than I ever thought I had, even pre even like a couple of years ago even just right before the pandemic i'd never really put a pin in it yeah so i mean you getting the diagnosis has got to be helpful you dealing with it and i mean for me with bipolar disorder having a creative outlet has always been such a blessing so to be able to kind of express it through comedy to feel less isolated about it to kind of like purge some of the difficulty mm -hmm. of it you know so you must be experiencing that oh yeah show. for sure and i it's caused me to dig deeper into it as i perform it each time as i talk this is going to sound ridiculous but it started with all these comedy bits that are hilarious comedy bits <laughs> um but uh as i toured it and it turned out there were way more adhd people would come to the show than <laughs> I expected. I don't know why I didn't like I expected. Yeah, that would be interesting to a few ADHD people, but it's a comedy show or solo show that's comedic um, talking to them and realizing like, you know, there's there's more to this that maybe I'm in a place to explain or at least from my standpoint than these folks are. And I'm going to do it a disservice if I don't. It's not that I didn't talk at all about the downside, but there were elements of the downside that I didn't talk about. And it's really, really helpful. And I can catch myself. I can see myself if I'm going down an anxiety rabbit hole, a hyper focus that's going to lead me to anxiety. I can pull myself out a little bit more quickly. There's things the medicine does help me, but it's not. It doesn't fix everything at it's all. Not the only, it's, part of the, it's part of the puzzle. Yeah, it's not the whole it's, thing. Yeah. It's part of the picture. What medication are you on? Vyvanse. Um, okay. it's, it's time release. Um, Adderall, basically. And then I have now... I don't think my doctor would call it this. I call it the kicker. Um, and then I have like a little dose of uh, Adderall I can take if it's like... 
you know, it's going to be a long day and like yeah. the Vivance is going to wear off. Um, but some people just drink a lot of coffee. Um, I think the medicine in some form or another works for some people. But, you know, if you have anxiety, if you have, a, you know, I didn't I don't usually use the for a lot of reasons, the straight dose Adderall that's not time release. Because um, I have a family history of addiction and someone in my family in particular, uh, his shit went down, you know, with cocaine, which I have never tried, which is uh, the reason that I'm standing here today with no mm -hmm. criminal record, because it wouldn't have stayed that way, I'm sure. Um, but the um, but it doesn't affect people, I think, worry that there's abuse or that Adderall is as um, addictive as cocaine or heroin or some shit, except you know, I don't know most of the time, if anything, the ADHD people I know forget to take their pills. It's not like they're knocking over, you know, liquor stores to get money for street pills. Yeah, well. Because they need it. They need it to function. They, they do need it to function. Absolutely. I think it is addictive, though. You know, not as addictive as cocaine, but it absolutely is addictive. And especially when it's used recreationally. And well, that's what I was saying. Like, like, I don't. That. Use it recreationally. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's I, it can't. It. I am sure it can be addictive because lots of things can be, and yeah. it's. It is. It is not that you can't tell, but I think if people don't have ADHD, they're they're not filling the hole. It has a, a more high impact effect. I agree. I absolutely but, agree. But I understand a lot of people. I mean, it's just a crazy, it's a crazy, like, abused drug for kids in college and stuff like that. Right, it is. There's a lot of things that could be abused yeah. by some people that would really help somebody else who exactly. actually needed it. And it's actually causing a problem because now doctors are very reluctant to prescribe it to people, mm -hmm. even if they need it. It's hard to get uh, an Adderall prescription, even if you legitimately have uh, ADHD. Um, and if you, apparently, and this was like a... And New York City nurse was telling me, she's like, if you go to a psychiatrist and tell them that you smoked weed even once, they won't give you an Adderall prescription. That makes no fucking science sense. Yeah, it does. Because you know who smoked weed like five times in their life and like every time terrible? Me, Blair Postman. Like, nope, <laughs> this is awful for a host of different reasons. It is completely different effect on people. The, like... If you said cocaine, I'd be like, I see where they're going, but it doesn't make any sense. And you're actually, it's a little bit surprising that you got prescribed Adderall because a lot of people now can only get Adderall prescribed if they have a childhood diagnosis of ADHD or ADD. I, I believe you like that. I mean, I, I don't, it's crazy. I don't know why that is. That's, that's because now you're you're putting women, women of color in particular, in a really bad spot. I mean, I've had other people try to give me, I took, um, I don't remember the real name, but like some forms of it are called Wellbutrin, you know, which didn't really help. It made me a little more relaxed about, you know, all the shit that I was fucking up. You know, like it just, it was, I was just more okay with it, which is not bad, but um, it, it, I, I'm like, it just doesn't, it doesn't help me. So why, why do you, I found another doctor, but most people don't have that luxury to yeah. go 
you know. Yeah. And I don't mean doctor shopping, like looking for the guy giving me the stuff. No, I mean, look, I've told you that this is not working for me. Um, I am. We're going to part ways, you know. Yeah. So when, yeah, when did you? So this is a culmination of so many years of you dealing with this, not having the diagnosis, getting the diagnosis, ignoring it, mm-hmm. finally realizing like, okay, I have to address this, uh, and now being seemingly in a better place because of that, still dealing with your struggles, but being in a better place uh, because of it. And I guess as a performer, the natural progression is, hey, it's time to do a solo show. <laughs> and as required by law. <laughs> um, and then, yes, and then a judge came to my house and said, now you have to make a solo show. Yeah, that's what I say about having a podcast. I'm yep. contractually obligated yeah, I, as a I comedian. Am, I'm working on it. You know, um, it's clearly the next thing. Um, it, it is, I fucking love doing this solo show. First of all, um, I get to do all my flippy things. And I get to, it is, each of those flip charts, yes, they are funny and intended to be funny. But, you know, the old saying, you know, comedy is truth. It's because there's truth in them. And also it's because I have gotten to find these weird connections that other people may not see, but they're real, they're there. And the making the show is like the ultimate version of that. Cause then I've connected all the things that seemed like completely separate comedy bits for years, you know, that had nothing to do with each other. Um, and I like talking about the, it turns out that sometimes I like talking about things that aren't just funny. Um, I was a philosophy of religion major, John. Oh, wow. You're a very uh, serious. I quit person. my political science major one course shy after taking one class, like in ethics that was like, 300 level and I really didn't qualify to take and then I just redid my whole made see wow. stuff like that but that was that was great that was actually one of the better decisions I made in my 20s um and so I love doing the show I I fucking love it but it's also made me better I think at stand-up comedy and that is despite doing way fewer like straight up stand-up mics and such because I spend as much as I love doing the show and writing it and rewriting it, so I spend so much fucking time now trying to promote it and uh, sell tickets. Caveat.nyc, by the way, for tickets. Um, yep. The and and you know I, now I'm on fucking TikTok. You're like I didn't. I wasn't trying to go on TikTok. Huh? Yeah, the social media I, thing yeah, is a grind. I, it's, I, it's, awful. it's it's so much time, but you fucking have to. And. Um, so despite all that time doing other things, I think it's made me better at stand-up. Both new shit that I try and the old bits are better. I mean, maybe not last night's show, but for the most part, you know, like all the old bits are, older bits are better. The newer stuff is tighter sooner, I think. And I don't know why exactly that is, but I think performing completely on my own for an hour and five, hour and ten minutes each time I do this show and rehearsing that long in my basement alone so many times in a row, something about that has really helped. So, um, you know, will I get to do this one person show on Netflix? I should be able to, (laughs) um, if there was a just universe. Yes. Um, but I love it. And so if it doesn't go the distance, let's say it's not the Hannah Gadsby, you know, it's, it's, it's not that, um, it'll be interesting to see, how I approach stand-up comedy going back 
if and when it becomes clear that, you know, we're not really focusing on this show anymore for whatever the reason is. It doesn't have to be a terrible reason. It's just like, you know what? We did what we could. Nobody cares. We're <laughs> going back to stand up. Um, it, or they care, but not that much. Um, or what am I going to do? How, what am I doing with stand up now that's going to make it as interesting and fun, as cool as putting this and doing this together? And I'm not sure what that is, but we'll see. But that's exciting. It's exciting to figure out. And of course, you're just going to grow as a performer through doing a show like this. Yeah. You know? I mean, I guess, I, you know, you, the world, and by the world, I mean, some dudes who are comics who have decided they made the rules of what stand-up comedy is and how you have to do it. Um, you know, I was doing eight, ten sets a week, you know, cobbling those together, uh, going up and back to New York, doing, you know, touring, uh, or at least, like, doing, like, out-of-town feature gigs and, you know, or, or sta- uh, headlining little indie venues and all this stuff, making no mo- making negative money, I'm sure, really, if I counted everything. Yeah. And, and but taking the grind out of it and really focusing, trying to focus, identify what I really want, or at least, like, the next two steps – and what that looks like and what's really worth my time and what am I doing instead of not doing stuff out of fear, which was my old M.O. Even though I seemed like a brave and mouthy chick, there was, I knew I was do, not doing a lot of stuff out of fear. What am I now going, what am I doing out of fear? Am I going to three more mics where I'm just going to wait around all night? This is not going to get me to the next level. I'm doing my same jokes because they don't want new jokes at this. You know, what am I what am I doing out of fear? Because I, I'm afraid of what it means when I really focus on these one or two things. As I'm really, it's vulnerable to me to say, yeah, you know what? I fucking love my one person show. I love it. I think it's smart. I think it's funny. I think it's different. I don't think there's anything out there. And people who, the six people who've actually seen it, no, there's been more than six. There's been more. <laughs> but people are going to but watch the people that come up to me afterwards and be like, holy fucking shit. And yes, sometimes it's hard to describe, but they love it. And if it doesn't like blow up, I have just publicly made it really clear to the whole world that this is my baby. And the baby, let's not say the baby died. The baby uh, grew up and did something else. I don't know. But it, it's very vulnerable for me to be like, yeah, no, I fucking love this thing and I want to keep doing it. And I want it to succeed and it might not. And so there's been a lot of good that comes from not doing all the things you think you quote unquote should do in stand up after a certain point and trying to be like, well, what's going to be the strategic thing for me to do to get me to it's part. What do I love and what is the strategy to get to do what I love more? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, solo shows seem to be where it's at right now anyway, so you seem to be on the right track. And also, you you know, who knows what will come of it. Uh, maybe all of these great things will come of it. Maybe it'll be great in the respect that it brought a lot of joy to a lot of people at the uh, all the times that you did it live, and that's beautiful too. Right. You know what I mean? Trying to put these external expectations on it and, sub- and, s- and speculating on it is like oh, it's the really the worst. It it's, really is it like is, cause of there's suffering. There's nothing worse for my mental health than that shit. So I try to be like, look, maybe it just made me come to New York more, and so I performed in New York more, and something comes of that you can never imagine 1,800 steps away from now. You know, or maybe it was just cool. Yeah, yeah. 
And also, it doesn't mean you can't do another solo show either. Yeah, you know, because you got those. Oh, I got ch- more flip charts, my friend. Yes, <laughs> flip charts for days. Oh, dude. I cut flip charts from this. Oh no! Yeah. Hey. Oh yes! <laughs> oh wow! Uh, the one about um, uh, Mean Girls is fun. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. There's a lot of slut shaming in Mean Girls in retrospect. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about that another. Time. Okay, we can talk about that. <laughs> we can talk about that another time. Um. I was going to say, one thing that we didn't do up top was say what ADHD stands for. Okay. Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. Yes. And almost every expert agrees it's a terrible name. That leaves out a lot of stuff. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And we didn't make a differentiation differentiation between that and ADD, which but is Attention Deficit Disorder. They've kind of phased ADHD, ADD out. Oh. And for a while, they were like, well, ADD is this, because there's more than one type of ADHD. And one of the things that experts don't like about the name is the hyperactivity part, because it implies that you have to be the bouncing off the wall stereotype. And a lot of people aren't. The hyperactivity is in their mind, how they're thinking, how they're jumping from thought to thought, et cetera. And then for a while, apparently, they had the ADD was one of the subset types but it's kind of just gone now. Like, it's kind of like, if you see someone calling it ADD, you're like, man, you, like, I, you know, this is not, it's like you're drinking new Coke or something. It's, it's like, just weird. It's like, it, yeah. It's, yeah. So it's, I, please don't take me as your only authority on this, but that is my, that's what I get. That's your understanding of yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I wanted to ask because I really didn't know. Right. Because you were upset. You lost your cool moniker for your, you know, disorder. I was, you know, I get it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It used to be called manic depression. Yeah, I yeah. get it. You're right. And they changed it to bipolar disorder. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I, it's, it doesn't hit Manic depression sounds way more like dark artist. I wanted to ask you something. Sure. Because I've listened to episodes of this podcast. I didn't mean to prepare, but... I appreciate uh, it. But, well, also, I'm inherently interested in all this stuff. <laughs> so I've heard you talking to some different guests, and... Um, you know, we'll have, you know, what was old school manic depression, right? But you have that manic side. Other disorders people have have that manic side. People often think the um, the hyper focus when I'm in that, that it's a manic side. It, do you think it's, I feel like while listening to your podcast, I'm like, it's so interesting because there seems to be a continuum of some of these mental disorders, whatever flavor, you know, bipolar, ADHD, that all have a level of manic, seemingness to them but it's almost the differentiator and there's other symptoms but the differentiator on the manic symptom seems to be how it presents and how intensely it comes and goes yeah i think yeah severity ability to function in society and then even with severe mania crossing a threshold into psychosis yes delusions right yeah um but i think I think it has to do with this newer sort of trend in psychology and psychiatry where diagnoses are being seen as imperfect labels for what's going on with people because there is a continuum of uh, of um, of uh, what's the word I'm looking for symptoms and stuff like that. Well, I guess when it started listening to episodes of your podcast, it occurred to me, you know, we have. Uh, autism is a spectrum now, right? We, you know, gender's a spectrum, insert thing. I think we're going to, it might be interesting, my half-baked 
hypothesis hypothesis is that a lot of these disorders are on a they're very they're much more they seem like they're all separate and i think they might be related more yeah and i don't I, know no that's what that's what the more sort of like newer thinking about oh, is that what the smart new kids are saying mm-hmm, about it too mm-hmm. oh, okay cool. well it's like I'll, i mean it's from things i read in like different you know psychology sites stuff. and stuff yeah, like that you stuff. know what i mean um is that yeah they're saying that just labels of diagnoses are imperfect and it has to do with what the symptoms are and how there's overlaps and stuff like that like um you know like trying to differentiate between someone with say narcissistic personality disorder and borderline personality disorder and say psychopathy compared to sociopathy etc etc it's like it's a, it's kind of there's a gray area there in the different personality disorders, right? In terms of, in terms of what label to give them. It's always a problem. We always, our nature as humans, for some reason, seems to be to want to put everything in a box, and that murders the spirit of people so often when you put them in the box. So it's yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right, and that's why a lot of people have take issue with the DSM five criteria, the Diagnostic mm. and Statistical Manual. I'm no expert, but I know what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I'm no expert either, but uh, but they have a lot of problems with that because it is putting everybody into a box, you know. Yeah. But we can't be put in no box. No, my motherfucker. No, nobody puts Blairzy in a corner. Nobody puts. <laughs> nobody in puts a corner. Johnny in a corner. No, not a chance. No. Um. <laughs> Sorry. So. Is there you're great. Is there anything that we haven't covered yet that you'd like to uh that you'd like to I cover? Mean, I could talk all day, but I would just say that um it's real. ADHD is real. Know that you don't have to be an outwardly I I'm gonna start over. I now, because of my touring and talking to ADHD people after the show, um who wanna commiserate, which I'm I'm here all day for, you know. But also, they would either ask me questions that I didn't feel qualified to answer, or they would think my version of ADHD would mean that they don't really have it or their sibling or spouse doesn't really have it. So I wanted to do something to help people see different sides or see themselves in it. So now after the show, we have either an expert on ADHD or an ADHD person who's an expert in things. And just know that, like, I am female identifying and was raised socialized female, but I and am more hyper and interrupty and loud and all those things. That's not the stereotype. Um, women especially tend to identify uh, to present differently. So if you don't sound like me and you're not as you know mouthy and everything, it doesn't mean you don't have ADHD. It's about what's going on in your head. And also, a lot of people are going to tell you all the reasons either not to get a diagnosis or not to get um, a prescription of one kind or the other. And look, there are a lot of great reasons to not take any medicine, but if, if it's, if you can manage it without, you know, but just a lot of people are going to tell you that what you're feeling isn't real. There's a lot of gaslighting when it comes to ADHD and the comorbidities or that either already existed or exist when someone has ADHD like anxiety depression and so on and I just I was I guess I was there I was 
I was a participant in the gaslighting of myself, I guess you could say. And I had every advantage. I had the money. I had most of the time the health insurance. I had uh, education. I'm overeducated. I, you know, was liberal. I didn't think it was, I don't know, some conservative thing about how no one mental illness isn't real or anything like that. And I didn't, I let my, uh, I listened to those people and helped gaslight myself and ignored it for a long time. So don't do it. If you, if you, if you think you might have it and you have a way to get help, get help. And there's actually some okay online services and stuff you can use now if you don't have a traditional doctor. Yeah. Wow. That is so well said. Thank you for that. Um, yeah. There yeah. was no laughing in this show. Yes, there interview. was. <laughs> you just laughed right there. I'm laughing at myself. Also, <laughs> I feel like, again, the vibe of the show is the yeah, vibe of the show. I know. You've you're listened right. to some episodes. It, I'm, That's the hardest part about doing the Lady ADHD show is like, no one is supposed to be laughing at, you know, whatever this line is. And it is taking every fiber of my being to just sit here in the lack of laughter. And because it's not all funny. You know, it's not supposed to be all funny. It's all good. It's the, hard. The psychos like the vibe of the show. Yeah, no. Um, I hope you're having a good time. Oh, no, I'm having a great time. Oh, what good, are you telling me? We're good, talking good, about good, let's, good. Well, let's pick some other. Um, <laughs> can we, can you let folks know where they can connect with you and find you and about your show? Absolutely. You can find me on Instagram and God help me, TikTok at, uh, uh, and YouTube, but I don't really do a lot on YouTube, but Instagram and also TikTok at Postman Comedy. And my website is ADHDcomedy.com. That's ADHDcomedy.com. There's video clips there of the show, you know, where I've done it. I'm, like, going to San Francisco Sketch Fest, where I'm going to be touring, when the show's here, ticket links. But there's also a lot of videos if you're, you know. I also have um, an online version of a show that's for sale. If somebody uh, wants to get that, shoot me an email. I'll tell you how to do it. But I'll be at caveat. Uh, theater in on the Lower East Side of New York City every month, hopefully every month. Uh, next one's August 30th and then September 28th. So you can go to caveat.nyc or adhdcomedy.com for the information. If you follow me on social media, I'm sure it'll come up. Uh, the shows. Eventually. Yes, absolutely, <laughs> definitely follow Blair. She's hilarious. Uh, in addition to the solo show, she's also a great stand-up. Uh, Great energy, super funny, hilariously angry. <laughs> it's really, really good stuff. So if you get a chance, definitely check out her solo show. Follow her on social media so you can find out about it. I got to see a video version of the solo show, and I thought it was absolutely fantastic. Um, so please do that. And I'll just say, Psychos, I'll just remind you again to uh, check out my stand-up special, The Manic Depressive Chocolate Fountain Operator. It's great. Oh, thank you. I'm proud of it. To be honest, to be fair, I will say this. I know that it's fucking good. Right? <laughs> I'm like, I'm sitting here and I'm looking at you and I know you watched it. and I'm, I don't know what you think, but I'm like, look, I'm going to tell you that I've watched some other solo shows like on big streaming channels. And I'm here to tell you that mine is much better. And that's the way <laughs> I feel about your special. I'm like, oh, it's much better. than so much out there. And this is jaded comedian talking, you know. Oh, it's so much better. If only that were the only criteria. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. But I am proud of it. So, psychos, leave it, a, leave a nice comment. It would mean a lot. Um, this has been another episode of Take Your Pills, Psychopath, the comedy podcast that exploits mental illness for personal profit. What trademark? I've been your host, Jonathan O'Donnell, here with the great Blair Postman. Thank you, Blair, for coming on. Thank you for having me. 
everybody. Enjoy the rest of your day, your morning, afternoon, evening, wherever you are. I love you guys. Bye.